wherever we're joining in from today, we look forward to opening the Word of God because, um, well, probably in our world, the Word of God is just not opened enough. Its teaching is not, um, there's not enough importance placed on it. It's pushed to the back blocks, but not for us. We, um, we love to open the Word of God and we love to look at the instruction and teaching of God and we know it's uh, of great aid to our life and uh, not not just aid, but it's um, it's essential. A lot of people have forgotten that it is, but is essential to our life. And I want to talk a bit today about life and peace um, as a as a thought. Um, every single day, all of us, every single one of us, we're provided um, with something, with one thing. And um, I could ask for hands for a guess for what that is, but really what we're provided with, every one of us, is opportunity and choice. And not just once a day, but right through each and every day we're alive, there are choices and decisions to be made and there's opportunities. And just right from the start, if we're looking at the thought of a life that is life and peace, then the more that we can commit ourselves to to something spiritual, to something in the Lord, something to his service, the more often that we do that and the more regularly that we do that without hesitation, the greater we will have the opportunity for, for life and peace in a world that is very uh, upside down at the moment. And um I want to just start by having a look at a story in Genesis chapter 14, if you can turn there with me. Genesis 14. Um, it's a story about a war that started with, uh, with a series of kings um, in a place called the Vale of Siddim, um, a place in Palestine. Um, and it talks about it, and I'm not going to read through all the chapters for time or all the verses for time, but it talks about it's the, the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea, and um, there were certain kings who were under the service of one main king, and his name is uh, Chidior Leoma. It's a bit of a mouthful. And basically this group of kings became tired of being under his command. And um, so we read about some of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. They go out to fight near this place near the Dead Sea against this, this king, Chidior Leoma, and it just happens that where this place, uh, where this battle or, takes place, um, it's near slime or tar or asphalt pits. Now they don't sound very inviting, but it's a, it's a known thing that near the Dead Sea these exist. And, um, it talks about a lot of people lost their life there, their lives there. And, um, and, and I imagine, um, it's through being caught in there and a bit like a quicksand struggling to get out. Um, but it, it makes specific mention of this. And in the end, um, Chadior Leoma, he, uh, he takes, he ends up defeating some of these kings. He takes all the wealth and he also takes Abraham's brother Lot. He takes him captive. And Abraham hears about this. He hears that his brother's been taken and he basically assembles an army and he goes to fight against this king, Chadior Leoma. I'll say that enough times I might get the hang of it. And, um, what happens is Abraham defeats him and he brings back the wealth and he brings back the people. And I want to um, pick it up in verse uh, 17. Uh, so we read here about a couple of kings. And it says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him, this is Abraham, after his return 
from the slaughter of Chedeorlaomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shavar, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Shalem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed he the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. So this is Melchizedek, this, this king and priest. We won't particularly go into Melchizedek today, but we know he had no natural ancestry that we can trace to, to being a, a priest. Um, and we read of him that, uh, of, of Abraham just in verse 20 there, and it says, and he gave him tithes of all. So he's his first king. The second one we read of, it says here, and the king of Sodom said unto Abraham, give me the persons, give me the people, and take the goods to thyself. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine or yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me Anna, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. So the king of Sodom, we've got these two kings here. The king of Sodom, it means, it actually means, Sodom actually means burnt or scorching because he's from this area of, of these pits, these tar pits. And we've got the king of Salem, the king of peace. The king of Salem, of peace, he, he, uh, he blesses Abraham being a king and priest himself, as I said, with no no traceable lineage. And Abraham gives tithes to him. He gives him the best, the first fruit of what he has. And the king of Sodom, this, this king of burning and scorching, says, you take all the wealth, but you give me the people. I want, I want the souls. There's a really familiar story here. There's a real type. And in our world today, it's really the same story that we have an opposition in this world. We have um, the prince of this world, the devil, who wants to t- he wants people to take all the spoils, the wealth, and the goods of this world, but he wants to take the people, the souls, and he wants people to be consumed with the wealth of this world, with, uh, with everything that there is to uh, to have and, and partake of, and his motive has never really changed. But like Abraham. If it's peace and it's life that we're after, then Abram, as he was here, he set us an example not to take of anything that belongs to the king of Sodom. Unless it's said of us that you got your wealth, you got your life from that king. And, of course, that's not what we want. But the king of peace, he wants to bless us that we might give the first of our life, the first fruits of everything we have so that he can bless us and he can take us into eternity. Genesis 15, just um, the verse 1 straight after, and we read, it says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, don't be afraid, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. God wants to be people's reward. He's saying, don't be afraid, don't be anxious 
for anything. We will not miss out on anything for placing God as our hope, for placing God as our provision in this life. He says, I'm going to be your reward. If you place your hope in me, don't don't be deceived. You will never come up wanting. I'll be your reward. I want to have a look at another story in um, in Matthew chapter 4. Just read uh, verse 1, and, and then I'm going to move on to some other passages. We just read, it's talking of uh, Jesus when he's tempted. It says in verse 1, it says, Then when uh, was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil? And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungry. Or he was hungry afterwards, that's the way I read it. 40 days and 40 nights. And I just want to skip down. We know there's various temptations that the devil put before him. But in verse 8 we read, And again, the devil taketh him, this is the third time, up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. And again, we see this same principle that the king of Sodom had. That is, he came before Jesus Christ in a a time of temptation, the devil, and he said, if you worship me, I'll give you the wealth and the glory of this world, it wasn't really his to give, but that's what he thought he was going to offer the Son of God. If, if, if Jesus had for any reason done that, and we know that God can't be tempted by evil, but if he had, then there would be no salvation for the souls of mankind. And that has been the opposition's motive all the time, to take the souls of men. And I want to just turn again over to another passage in Romans chapter 8. I want to start reading in verse 5. I guess thinking about the wealth and all the things that we can attain to ourselves in this life, all the things that we can have, do and experience, it says in verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, so just to be aware, conscious, chasing, pursuing only what we feel in this natural life, it says, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It's where it comes from. It says, because in verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God or the teachings and principles of God, and neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you, Now, if any man has not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And I just want to read those verses from another another translation. Uh, Romans 8, starting in verse 5, it says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, 
And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And so our whole world is searching desperately now and maybe for a long time for life and peace. Life with a, life with a capital L and peace with a capital P. One with a purpose, one with satisfaction, one that's fulfilling, and maybe one that doesn't, you know, depend on, uh, other people around them assuring them that they're wonderful. A lot of people depend on that today. A life that's contented. So many people searching for it. All the world is looking for it. And it's easy to tell how people are looking for it. When you see how people spend their money and how people spend their time, they spend it on things that they hope will give an inward peace, that will give an inward you know, satisfaction. And yet again, when we look in our world, we just, you know, and... Maybe, maybe sometimes these things even creep into our life. You know, that we have, there's a restlessness, that we're, that we're craving for something. But we know in our, in our world that people are, are craving for this inward peace, family peace, international peace, peace with each other, peace with their creator. People are looking for it and, and often in all the wrong places. But the passage we just went through in Romans, it gives the secret that the whole world is looking for. It is the answer for finding life and peace. And we know that the word of God, it's not, these, these aren't man's words. This isn't man's remedy or man's patch for, you know, a, a sort of a temporary solution. It's not, it's not a religious idea that where somehow man has thought, this is what you want, God. This is what I'll offer you. This is the creator himself understanding what my life needs and what your life needs. And where peace comes from. And this is why God sent Jesus Christ from sitting on his right hand down to this earth in the form of a man to give his life, to die and rise again so that he could give us a life. Well, he could give us life and that more abundantly we read and give us peace. Not as the world gives, but a peace inside of the soul. And this is what Paul is writing here in this passage to the Romans. Peace comes from having a life and having a, a mind that is governed and controlled by the Holy Ghost. If we try and do it any other way, there might be some, you know, some temporal fun or a bit of temporal satisfaction or a bit of an interest, but it will never, it will never give internal peace, a long ongoing peace. And we can pursue every possible thing in this life. We can be passionate about our interests. We can be passionate about our hobbies. We can be passionate about our goals and all the things we want to achieve, but they will not bring life and they will not bring peace. Which is why when we look around in our world, there's just an endless cycle of, you know, the next idea, the next device, the next mindset, the next thing you can be part of, the next thing you can research. Yet none of it brings peace. A mind controlled by the Holy Ghost, a life led by the Holy Spirit, brings life and peace. And God has known this all along. And uh, how privileged are we to be filled with God's Holy Ghost? And how privileged are we if we haven't yet got the Holy Ghost? If we haven't spoken in other tongues, as the Spirit gives utterance, the same way it happened in the beginning, then the Bible says clearly we do not have the Holy Spirit. We are none of his with Christ. But of course, 
while Jesus Christ hasn't come back, that invitation, that opportunity is there today. And praise the Lord for it. I want to turn to, just back to Romans chapter 7, where Paul talks of, I guess, some of the struggle that maybe we can all relate to in even being filled with the Spirit sometimes of, uh, of peace and life. He just, he says in Romans 7 verse uh, 18, he says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, you know, sometimes we like to, um, if we're not careful, we can all want to glory in our flesh a bit about our, maybe our, our abilities or what we've achieved or what we think we know or we don't know. And, and, and Paul's saying, look, I know that in me, in my natural part of me, there's really, there's really no good thing. He says that it dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. In other words, I've got this knowledge of what I need to be doing, but how to make that come to pass, I, often I don't find that's the case. He says in verse 19, for the good that I would, uh, would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Vice versa, I've got good intentions, and what I know what I need to be doing, but what I find myself doing are the things that I shouldn't be. And he says, now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present within me. While we're still in these natural bodies, even if we have the Holy Ghost, that capacity that is still there, which is why we have to overcome ourselves with the Holy Ghost. And it says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But then he goes on in verse 25 and he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law or the teachings and principles of God which are perfect, but with the flesh, the law of, of sin. And Paul is describing this natural battle that, that goes on in place of anybody who's filled with the Holy Ghost. And he was thankful that his mind served or was committed to the teachings of God. And, you know, these principles of God that transform us by the renewing of our mind, the Bible tells us, that... um in the day to day that happens as an ongoing thing that as we as we just seek lord the lord in the spirit as we just place aside the busyness of life because life is just you know so so consuming sometimes you know it's like a constant um barrage of advertising and tasking that we all just get hit with and 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 what what this is saying is when we put, when we step aside and we, and we pause and we reflect and we think of the big things and we, and we seek the Lord through the Holy Ghost that's within us, then we're able to, to lay down our natural nature. And we live in a, you know, we live in a, in a world that is so contradictory, that is, um, so adverse to any form of pain and discomfort in that, you know, at all costs now, um, I guess, I mean, nobody loves pain and discomfort, but at all costs, we try and avoid it. You know, that they're seen as the enemy. But those two things can often teach us very valuable lessons. You know, they can, I think of, um, I mean, look at all that Jesus Christ suffered. You know, and we read about, look, we've got to consider Jesus Christ. 
who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest we be faint and wearied in our minds, and it says we've not yet strived or had to go unto the physical loss of our bodies. Some people have, but not to the length of Jesus Christ. We think of people like Paul the Apostle, where he was able to to list off all of the afflictions he suffered, yet look at the things he was able to write and the encouragement and the wisdom and the strength he was able to give in a time of some pain and discomfort. And when we're in a point of incredible physical comfort, sometimes it works against our spiritual strength. Sometimes that becomes what we lean on. And when we lack spiritual strength, it's often we'll find that what goes together with that is we'll lack peace in our life. We lack a peace. There's another, Proverbs chapter 8, I just want to turn to something there. It's um, it's quite amazing, as I said, our world will try to avoid pain and discomfort in every possible way personally and then is happy to go on and for any form of entertainment, whether it's a movie, whether it's, you know, um, meet some form of media, they're happy for entertainment to watch the most despicable things happen to other people as long as it's done under the form of entertainment. It's so contradictory and yet people will often wonder why there's no inner peace and life. Proverbs 8 and verse 33, it says, um, Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favour of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul and all they that hate me love death. That's a really interesting point. All they that hate me or love me less than themselves or any other aspect of their life, God's saying they love death. And now, again, our modern world, it acts and it carries on in our society like there is nobody home in the universe. There is nobody out there. Like nobody exists. There is no creator. And we live in a world that is obsessed with, with, with death. And you think about the imagery that is put up in our, in our media and so on and so forth and in its, in its art, in its music, in its literature, in a lot of the video games and so on. So many things are based around the imagery of death. Why? Because as this passage says, all those that hate or love God less, that actually love death. Now if we were to ask people, do you love death? People would say, no, I don't love death. I want to live. I want to have a good life. But I guess where people have, um, you know, maybe we were all in that position too before that we were born again, that we couldn't see what our life, what our, where our path was tending to, what it was taking us towards. Oh, it's just a bit of simple, uh, you know, entertainment. It's just what I do to sort of keep myself occupied. And yet the, I guess what is in people's hearts is manifested by what they make, what they do, what they speak and what they promote. And when we have a look at that in our world, we see the, the opposite of life and peace. And it would be a great tragedy for any of us if we were to become numb to the point where we find ourselves seeking out those things, you know, for entertainment and leisure. Peace and life, they don't, they don't live in those things. They don't live in our world's, you know, movies and entertainment and, you know, and I guess the imagery that it, that it presents. And, and maybe sometimes, we underestimate the impact that has on our life. If 
if if we are the kind of person that you know we maybe we spend a lot of time. I mean, twenty four hour entertainment, Netflix, all this stuff that's around us. It, it is it is a really good thing to assess how much time do we spend taking things in, taking in that stuff. Um, I mean, we've got to have a relax. We've got to, you know, have some downtime and all those things. But it really is interesting. I mean, people have phone apps these days where your phone does it automatically. It tells you how long you spend a day on your technology and what you were looking at. And sometimes it can be a bit of an eye-opener if you actually have a look at what you, how you've spent your time. And, you know, for our world, it loves it. It's the greatest advertising platform it's got. But we're talking about life and peace. And God says, I've got something different for you. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read in verse uh, 14. We read, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without, uh, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently in verse 15, lest any man fall of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and, then, and thereby many be defiled. Without following after peace and, and holiness through the Holy Ghost, it says we've got to be diligent about this. Otherwise, the, the real possibility is there that we fall from the grace of God. And what comes next? Bitterness. And it says that many people get caught out through bitterness. And then it goes on and says, lest there be any uh, fornicator or someone prepared to sell themselves, sell their soul, or profane. It actually means someone who's prepared to cross the threshold. Person as Esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And there's a story there in Genesis 27 for where we know the story of Esau for temporary relief of his hunger, looking for temporary relief of a desire and what satisfaction it would bring. He thought it was going to bring him, I don't know, life and peace. He thought he was going to die from starvation. That's what he did. He sold his birthright. And he thought that would be the answer to his situation and of no consequence. And in verse 17 we read, For we know, for you know, how that afterward, when he could have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. And I guess um, what it's really saying is that the despair, and, and there's a type here for us, us, that there was a despair that Esau had for allowing himself to let go of something so valuable that could never be reversed. That was really the, the case for him. It was something that after he'd sold that birthright, it could never be reversed. And no matter what he did, no matter how much he wept about it, we could have a look at it in Genesis 27, but we won't. It was irreversible. And so we're told to follow peace with all men. Not, not a, not a natural peace. How do, how do we follow peace with all men? It means we don't take on the wars and the cares and the affairs of this, of this life. We walk in the spirit and God, God provides. God leads our path and God, God fights our battles for us. We sing about the battle belongs to the Lord. And if we choose another path, if we choose to take it on ourselves, it's not going to tend to life and peace. Proverbs chapter 3. I just want to have a look at another passage. Uh, verse 1. It says, My son, forget not my law or my teachings, 
that let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. There's a real pattern here. The principles and teaching of God are the things that lead to true peace. And we know, um, well, many of us here have experienced that and we, we keep experiencing it daily, but we are all in this life and we're all in these natural bodies and we can all find ourselves getting caught out and our mind taken away and, and, and veered to say that the answers may be over here, not with what you already have, not with the relationship you have with your creator, but the answer might somewhere, somehow be somewhere else. And the Bible's always channeling, channeling us back. This is where your answer lies. And verse 3, it says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck. It actually means um, to knit them. The word bind means to knit. And when it says neck, it means knit them to your throat. What comes from our throat? Our voice. Mercy and truth from our voice. Write them upon the table of thine heart. It says in verse 4, For so shalt thou find favour and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. In every single thing we do, acknowledge God, and he shall direct their paths. And we know that um, there's only one path, straight and narrow, that leads to life eternal. The Bible says, few there be that find it. But God is saying again that, you know, it's, it's a real challenge to each and every one of us that in everything we do, to have God part of it because, you know, maybe we've found ourselves at times where we, uh, we break our life into these bits and pieces and we, we don't let, maybe we don't let the Lord in and we know we've got a natural life to lead, that we, we've got to work, we've got to look after children, we've got to, you know, we've got to provide, there's maintenance to do on homes and there's family to look after and people to visit and bills to pay and all these different things that are just part of being a person that the Lord understands. But it's, you know, when we, I guess when we pigeonhole those things and we just, and the Lord becomes separate to it all, he's saying if we want his peace and we want to be on the path that leads to life, then the more we can include our creator into everything we do, then he is going to then be able to lead where we go and what our, what our destiny becomes with him. What's the path that God's leading us on? It's the real deal. There's no other path. He's leading us to the one of life and peace. And um, we don't ever want to forget that because there is so much opposition to the teaching of God. There is so much opposition to, to, to anything, I guess, that would represent God these days and his truth. And people will speak out against it. But God says, don't be deceived. Don't get taken in by it. If you're born again of water of the Spirit and you're walking in that Spirit to overcome day by day, he's taking us on a path to life and peace. And it doesn't mean that difficulty won't come with it. And we, we know that. We know that there are, that there is tribulation, that Jesus said in this world you shall have tribulation and that our, we're being refined like as of gold. Our, we're being tried and refined, but we don't want to be deceived and exchange a straight and narrow gate or the broad one that, that leads to, you know, to destruction. There is no peace in that. There's no life in it. Um, and I suppose, uh, you know, I guess for people that are visiting here today and, you know, maybe some of these things are, 
maybe you've heard them before, maybe maybe you've never heard it put that way, maybe it's, uh, you know, again, just it's just su- such a common teaching to just give your life over to Jesus in some way and just, uh, you know, bless him with your heart and, and just have a sort of a real um, touchy type of relationship. But God, God says there's actually a supernatural change that needs to take place in us, that it's not... It's not a product of uh, uh, our our decision or you know something that we've manufactured. This is something that God has supernaturally set up through His Son, and that we must be born again of water of the Spirit. We could read it in John three, you know that um, if we want to see or enter the kingdom of God, there's very specific signs given in Mark sixteen to, to to followers, to those that truly believe. The real soil test of who those are that have life and peace. Those five signs that will follow believers. And again, we could happily look at those with you. I just want to look um, in Second Thessalonians chapter 3. And this is um, really a, a prayer, a final uh, close off again by Paul. Um, about the gospel, about the good news, about the only true thing that will bring a life, true life and peace to people in the world. And we just read in verse 1, it says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. It is a great thought. And be glorified even as it is with you. You know, having our mind led by the Spirit and governed by the things of the Spirit, I think what what greater thing would God want now in this time in the world, the time we live, what is it, August the 30th, 2020, a time maybe a lot of people never thought we'd see, what greater thing would God want than for his gospel to have free course in the world? Because that would be his delight, to see to see that none would perish, but all would come to repentance, to see that people would be born again, ready to meet Jesus Christ when he comes back. And our world at the moment is putting every blockade it possibly can to try and stop that happening, but it doesn't matter because God's bigger. God is greater where he's, where there is people filled with his spirit who are prepared to speak, where we then it'll go out and it will have power, it will have impact and it will change people's lives and it will be confirmed with signs following. And again, the encouragement is here that if you haven't experienced this, born again of water of the spirit, signs, wonders and miracles, then there's opportunity for you. And um, we've been having people of recent times just the same way that it started in the Bible, in the book of Acts. Same experience, born again, water of the Spirit, go from hoping there's a God to knowing in that instant. We read on in verse 2, it says, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Probably don't have to look real far to see unreasonable and wicked men in our world today. They've always been there, but they're around. But the Lord is faithful. This is his promise, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things which we command you, the teachings of God. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting of Christ. That's the mind of the Spirit, to direct us into the love of God. It's to direct us into his love and peace. You know, there's a lot of people, I mean, I know just even in my own workplace, uh, how many people 
are just so distressed with what they see happening around them and what what's going on in the world because we haven't we haven't really seen a time like it in in maybe in Australia it's different to anything we've experienced before and you know there's there's no natural thing that's going to be the solution to all of that it takes a spiritual solution and god is there to any who will cry out to him no matter where you are no matter when if we call out to the lord and say and and just whatever our prayers we speak to him like a friend i want to know about the purpose of my life i want to know about how i get true life and how i get true peace he's there in an instant he's listening all the time He's listening for those prayers and for that, that cry that people make, for, I guess, from within. And a lot of people will boast and say, ah, oh, there's no God. I don't believe any of that. Maybe some of us used to do that. But there's no deceiving God because he's searching the hearts. He knows the times when, when we're calling out maybe on our own, you know, that two o'clock in the morning or the time when we're driving on our own or, you know, something, something really heavy's happened in life. God hears and sees all of those things and he's there to answer the minute we're genuine. You know, religious facades, trying to be godly on the outside without the Holy Ghost. You look through the Old Testament and God says, I, I have to turn away from that because it's an outward show. He says, but the minute a person cries out with sincerity, with genuineness from here, God's ear is there instantly to, to hear and to work in our situation. And um, praise the Lord, life and peace is the portion of everybody who will be obedient to God, everyone who will keep overcoming, and everyone who will keep looking to him, especially in the times that we're living now, and all the people said, Amen. I'll leave it there.